Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raj, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTF. Uh, if you're not already, make sure and become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. Well, heading into, what are we, week three of quarantine that we got Ishmael Johnson in the house. Ish, how you doing? Yo, what's up, man? Ah, nah, nothing much, nothing much. What's up with any of us at this point? You know? uh, ba- basically, yeah, I guess that's a good yeah. way to put it. Man, we are, look, uh, the, the biggest thing that I've kind of been thinking about like the last 24 hours, just how, you know, how lucky we are to work where we do and, and the, you know, incredible support that our spri- uh, subscribers give us to be able to do it because... Man, the world is scary right now. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, so so a lot of announcements have kind of come out about college sports the last couple of days, of course. So the biggest one that came out was, I want to say, yesterday, when it was mm-hmm. officially announced that the recruiting dead period was going to extend through uh, through May 31st. You know, so June would be really the first time that we get to see. And, you know, the thing that's interesting about that is that what that means is that the spring evaluation period is gone. Right. Right. So like you don't get to evaluate players, basically, which I mean, obviously, you know, you talk about recruitment. So like obviously you hear about the recruitment, the graphics, the, you know, offers, all that sort of stuff. But like this starts with evaluation. You know, Mm -hmm. that's how all of this starts. You're talking about not being able to identify these kids. I mean, it's kind of hard to think about because we've never really been through this. But like, how do you think that that's going to impact the way that recruiting goes the next couple of months? Yeah, I mean, depending on however we, whatever gets lifted in terms of like, you know, select events being held and things like that, you're going to be relying so much more on those maybe, you know, maybe if they start allowing, excuse me, like more um, concentrated workouts, perhaps of maybe like under 30 kids or something, you know, you're going to see a lot of like drill-based stuff being kind of the main evaluation and, like, um, as opposed to, like, you know, people would be using seven-on-seven and things of more, like, more, uh, a little more tangible um, uh, evaluating tools, as you would say. Um, They'd be using things like that, select seven-on-seven or official seven-on-seven events. Um, But I feel like, yeah, a lot of it's going to be based on now whatever drills or events are going to be allowed to be held or i mean you're going to be projecting hoping that film from last fall is going to translate to you know to to an improved player and hopefully that the weaknesses you saw from the 2019 regular season can be papered over into 2020 and things like that yeah well and and you know i, I got to talk to uh to some people yesterday notably uh, UTSA's recruiting director joe price who's obviously mm-hmm. a, a former texas high school football assistant coach um you know, and, and one thing that we just kept coming back to is, man, this game film is going to be so important, right? Like, yeah. this game film is kind of going to be everything. And you're going to, you know, you're really going to be looking a lot at what are their track times. We can't necessarily get them here to run the 40 or the 100. Like, what are their track times like? Mm-hmm. How do they play other sports? How do they move on a basketball court? How do they, you mm-hmm. know, how do they play against tough competition? Like, and, and actually, I mean, this isn't necessarily our wheelhouse, but like, for the NFL draft... I mean, yeah. we are losing so much. I mean, again, we talk about the combine, uh, obviously. Private and, workouts. And, right. Private workouts are gone. Um, you know, pro days. I, I think that pro we haven't gone, yeah. even haven't even really thought about that. You know, that 
you know, this this absolutely freaking sucks for obviously, you know, we are very openly Mason Fine stands. Like, nobody mm-hmm. is going to get to see him, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's... This is a weird deal. And, and, I mean, obviously, you know, it's important that we keep things in perspective that, you know, sports is one part of the world. There's so much more going on in the world. We don't want to, you know, get too bogged down. But, you know... Sure. It does really suck for some of these kids, you know, some of these yeah. kids who chose to come out early, you know, kids like Xavier Jones from SMU who had a great senior year, but like didn't get a combine invite, didn't actually get a look. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I don't know how teams are going to handle this. You know, I don't know how how players from these smaller schools are going to handle it in a way. So. So from the from the perspective of a pure fan. Yeah. I'm really intrigued because we always, specifically, more specifically with the draft process, right? As opposed to like college and, or I guess to an extent college, but we always, I think a lot of us have grown into complaining a lot about maybe putting too much emphasis on these drills, sure. right? And the combine process and this whole private workout thing of throwing, you know, throwing in shorts and, you know, you, you know, overvalue, overvaluing that. So I'm really fascinated to see how that affects that when they, when scouts don't have that option, right? Um, but obviously in the case, like some players like Mason Vine, that hurts them because obviously you could look at the film, but you know, somebody's not going to be officially sold on him until they get him in front of their own eyes, right? Um, until they get some of their guys down there to Denton to see him in person and throw and, you know, things like that. Whether, even if it is just drills or whatever, just seeing him in person does so much. Um, these in-person interviews too, right, uh, that we see during the draft process. But yeah, I'm, I feel like film and I, I to a certain extent, some players are going to be validated more because their on-tape yeah. stuff is going to have to speak for itself. And... I think that's going to benefit some, and I think in some cases, I mean, it's it's going to be an either or, right? Some kids, some kids are going to really benefit who really dominated this past season, um, or some players are going to who may have played okay this past season, but maybe didn't light it up like somebody like a Mason Fine, right? Who was okay this past season, right? Uh, 2018, 2017 were definitely better. Um, uh, guys like him who probably could have used that pro day or that private workout to really sure. set himself apart and really give himself a shot at getting drafted or getting a more concrete um, practice squad or invite or something. Yeah, and, and the one thing that is honestly a blessing in a lot of ways is mm. it sounds like the XFL is going to be around, you know, yeah. and so to have an opportunity to at least play competitive football at some point again, right? Like, mm-hmm. it might not be right away. It might not be, you know, we don't know when, when any of these leagues are going to, you know, do anything really. But, you know, the idea that at least it's not, you have to get a camp invite, you have to play in preseason games to really ever get a look, mm-hmm. that's a positive thing, you know? And, and that's something that you hope, uh, again, I mean, not that we want to make this whole show about Mason Fine, but like, you know, that's where you hope that, okay, even if he gets just an XFL uh, workout at least, you know, he can prove mm-hmm. something. You know, right. because because like it's you look across the XFL and look at some of these quarterbacks who are really standing out and who are really you know kind of making a name for themselves. It's you know the biggest one is PJ Walker, right? He played at Temple, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's not you know that's a story of him sort of getting opportunities and getting a chance to play and and look like I mean I'm I know that he was a fine player on on the Colts practice squad and as a backup, but like there's a difference between being a gamer and being a backup, you know, and, mm-hmm. and getting to go out there and show what you can do against other good competition, not great competition. I mean, that that's where you hope that maybe you can make up some of that, uh, some of that difference, but right. it, it's going to be weird. And, and the other thing, you know, that, that really has been the thing that's really 
been a big question in my head, right? Is sure, sure. Is how do these teams with new coaching staffs that haven't necessarily worked together? How do they start to, you know, we talk about install. How do we even figure out what to install? You know, like how right. do we figure out what schemes, what sets? Uh, again, a lot of this is because yesterday I did my interviews with the UTSA coaches. And I mean, that was something throughout this whole process that I was curious about. But like, man, you look at UTSA, right? And Jeff Trailer's kind of a, a, a spread guy who has like tempo involved, right? Like that's a big part of him. You look at Mike Maddox, our offensive line coach. Uh, you know, he's a coach who has coached basically, you know, those old Baylor offenses. You look mm-hmm. at uh, you look at Barry Lunny, who's their offensive coordinator. He's coached pro style under Brett Bielema. That's kind of been his background, but then also coached under Chad Morris. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. how do you even decide what you want right. at that point when you don't even know what your roster is? It's it's. I think that this is going to be fascinating because, look, we all obviously hope and, you know, there's reason for – some optimism to believe that okay if we can get these things under control in the next two to three months mm-hmm. maybe we can at least have some football season right um sure. but but like even then it's like all right what are you guys running you know how do you get the players on the same page um, I was about to say, they're not teams aren't programs aren't just twiddling their thumbs this time of year right sure, sure. Um, and you get you get it's one thing to talk about coaches but you also get you know, early enrollees. You also get yep. JUCO guys. You get yep. guys who were probably on the practice squad because they redshirted last year, right? The guys right. supposed to be making their way into the first team. Um, this is valuable. Like, anytime you can get the players in this one room together, you know, it's valuable team building time, right? Just morale-wise. Um, getting familiar with the guy that's going to be to your left and right and just basic things like that, you know, without even getting into X's and O's, without even getting into coach acclimation, things like that. You're just talking about pure locker room culture at that point. Like sure. just establishing a culture, establishing who your new leaders are. If you had some senior clear out, you know, things like that. Um, these are the time, this, this right now is specifically as the time of year where that really um, hits, including, I think one of the more underrated times is over the summer when they're just with their strength and conditioning coaches, yeah. right? Um, yeah. the, it's just waking up at five, going to lift at six, and you're all in the same room together with your strength coach for basically two months. And that's a lot of time together that you're building and that you're getting camaraderie down. And, and I think um, that's going to be more interesting because if that's replaced with potentially a shortened camp of some kind or if they're just, just keep it, as is and you know you kind of lose that or whatever you know whatever that happens to that period as well that's that's something to keep in mind as well yeah yeah well we put out a call the other day for uh, for questions uh, about you know how college football is responding to COVID-19 um, you know what teams are doing during this period uh, you know we got some great questions in here we all we'll also kind of bring in some other sort of common Q&A's that we've gotten over the past couple of weeks um, but let's start with this okay so this is from Twitter user at YellMK um, yes, assuming football is played in the fall with no spring football and potentially limited fall activities, more experienced season rosters will likely benefit. So which teams will benefit from that in the big 12 and which will struggle even more. And I'm going to, we'll start with big 12 teams. Uh, and mm-hmm. then let's also move obviously just to Texas college football as well. Sure. Did you have any in mind? Uh, I mean, Texas is a big one. Yeah. Um, because for the most part, this time for them should have been seasoning probably like yeah. seasoning yeah. up what you have. Um, but for the most part, they're bringing back basically everyone who knows how to play together. Um, obviously, you 
you want to you'd use this for valuable time for my Yurashek to get get his you know philosophy or play calling tendencies um, in line. But for the most part, they're probably the one team that's gonna be just that can probably hit the ground running the most in the Big Twelve. Yeah, well, and and real quick in the Big Twelve, this isn't a Texas team. I think that Iowa State's going to benefit a lot. You know, they bring back a That's lot of their production. Um, the other thing that I want to look at with this when, when answering this question, and I'll, I'll mention a couple of schools in Texas with this too, mm-hmm. is staff continuity, right? Because, sure. because you know, Texas obviously has a lot returning on both sides of the ball, but, like, you look at Texas A&M, for example, right? Like, Texas mm-hmm. A&M not only returns most of their players, but they also return both coordinators. They return their head coach. I mean, they did have a couple of staff departures, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of their running backs coach left, that sort of thing. But, but you know, being able to come back and play a similar system, I, I think that that's a big deal. And one school that I think is really going to benefit from this is Rice. So mm-hmm. Rice ranks number one in returning defensive production in all of college football. Like, that's right. pretty crazy, right? I mean, they return 96% <laughs> of their production. Um, you know, on offense, things are a little dicier. They lose their top running backs. Um, they lose a couple of offensive linemen. They lose the guy who's their starting quarterback for most of the year. Um, but they bring in Mike Collins, who, who at TCU, you know, did a pretty good job when he was asked. He was a guy who was going to be a, a, an Ivy League starter as a sophomore before kind of taking a chance on, on himself at TCU. So I think that he can kind of get things uh, together pretty quickly. And look, I mean, this is kind of what... Mike Bloomberg's been building to. The question, obviously, now is, like, can that development still happen when the guys are not on campus and they're having to do it on their own? I mm-hmm. am optimistic that the answer is yes. And, I mean, not to typecast or anything, but I do think that, you know, one of the advantages of Rice is you do have kids who have typically, you know, strong academically, sort of strong. Mm-hmm. You know, I do think that that can be a factor at our, in individual situations. And I think right. that, that Rice is one of those programs where you can actually talk about that. Um, and, you know, so you hope that sort of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, you get in some of these mental reps. And now physically it's a different story. Like it's, sure. it's a completely different thing. But most of the guys who they have coming back do have experience on the field. I think one of the one of the things that's a good point, um, kind of about the individual workout thing. I think in general we're not going to see that big of an issue on that front because, for the most part, a lot of the guys who were good enough to make it to this level did a lot of work on their own in the first place. Sure. Right. Like in high school, you're you know there are there are you know UIL set standards or if you're not in Texas, but governing bodies set standards of how long they can interact with their high school coaches, right? Right. And so a lot of these guys put you know to get to this level. I think put enough work in on their own time over the summer, over the off season to have at least some semblance of a workout during this time. So I get that some people might have um, a a concern about like, oh man, they're not with their strength coach. And yes, they're not getting division one training uh, probably 24 seven, but I don't think it's going to be a case where, you know, you're, you're going to see a lot of guys come in out of shape and all this stuff, X, Y, and Z, you know, to some extent they are trying and, you know, I think a lot of these guys are going to be, for the most part, okay. Like, no, you're not going to see them in their peak physicality when they come back, just because, you know, they're not, they don't have a D1 facility or an FBS facility to come back to. But, um, you know, I think for the most part, you know, like you mentioned, some individual cases you might see, you know, like uh, this defensive lineman didn't come back 100, you know, back back to where he was. But and actually, I do think that lineman is going to be the real interesting one because, mm-hmm. like, that is something where nutrition-wise and strength-wise, like, that's the most, right? That's where you're going right. to see, I think, the biggest 
not issues, but issues, you know, is, is going to be with those guys. And actually, you know, talking to, to some of the coaches, um, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to get a strength coach on the line now, too, to kind of get his perspective on things. But, like, mm. the strength staff and training staff at a lot of these schools, and, in fact, I'd say almost every FBS school in Texas, they're actually coming up, uh, they're actually meeting with every single player, and they are coming up with individual workouts based on not just what they want and not just, you know, their body type and what they're looking up from that perspective, but also they're asking what equipment do you have access to? You know, do yeah. you have access to a gym? Some of the, you know, some of these kids have access to a full gym in their house or in their, you know, in their garage, something like that. Some of these kids have dumbbells. Some of these kids have, you know, have resistance bands. Some of these kids have absolutely nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of strength coaches are going and meeting with every one of them to try to come up with their own individual workout plan that they can do in their own situation. Um, and, and I think that that's great. I, I think that that's obviously something that, uh, this is where having a good strength coach really pays off, right? <laughs> this is where, mm-hmm. you know, this is why Alabama paid Scott Cochran all that money for all those years. This is why, you know, Iowa's strength coach makes $750,000 or whatever it is, because this is where they really are necessary is during this time. Um, now, I, again, the nutrition part, I think, is going to be the part that's kind of interesting, because obviously we know that a lot of players don't, you know, sometimes come from tough situations, too, where, where just being able to be on campus and have access to food uh, it is a big deal, but um, but you know I, I think that we're going to start moving. Where I think the NCAA is also probably going to eventually just acknowledge, hey, we need to let you know let them be able to ship some food out if that's necessary to them, you know, just that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, and and so just back to the question for a second, you know, which teams will struggle from this, right? Again, we're talking about teams I think with new coaches and new coaching staffs, right? So um, I think that UTSA is in a really tough position right now because they are having to come in and do something completely different, uh, which mm-hmm. I, I don't think will be easy. Um, you know, I, I was talking with, you know, some other people like UTEP is in a, a really tough position because they got a lot of new players. They do have staff continuity, but they got a lot of new players. They're one of the bottom teams in returning production. And like, you've really needed this time to train, right? Yeah. Like this is a, this is a team that did not have things together when the season ended. Um, and, and I do think that there's some reasons for optimism that weren't there before in 2020 compared to 2019, but like not getting to have these running backs all on campus together, not getting to have all these offensive linemen on campus. I mean, that does not help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right now it's, it's golly. Like I can't, Im- when you have all of the above, right. You have right. new coaches, you have new, <laughs> new players, everything. <laughs> like how is it possible at all? for you to build something like i mean yes we're trying our best with zoom and things like that things of that nature but like i mean if if you're if you're a juco transfer and you're already the new guy in general to division one and you get a new coach and you're at home and the only way you can talk to this new coach is through a meeting maybe once a day on your laptop yeah like I don't know. And then, like, you're also supposed to be like, okay, I'm I'm supposed to also be using this time to hang on my teammates and, like, talk to, you know, get acclimated to the city. And it's like, oh, I can't even do that. And so it's like, I don't know. There's just, golly, there's so many, like, um, I mean, a program like Texas State who has a bunch of Juco yeah. players coming in, right, um, who are supposed to be playing, who are immediate uh, roles. Um, yeah, I can't imagine, like, that that mentality because i mean it's, it's new for everyone right there's not there's no precedent 
to do this. There's no like, oh, it's, I have some advice for you. He's like, no one has advice on this. We're all, for, to an extent, we're winging it. So yeah, yeah. No, it's it's. <laughs> I think it was Alex Kirshner yesterday on Twitter was like, there's going to be some really bad football if we do play in the fall. You know, just mm-hmm. because. You know, players are just not going to be physically ready in a lot of cases to, to play at the level that we're used to seeing them at. But, um, you, know, you know, this question I thought was really interesting. Okay, uh, this is from Graham Trailer on Twitter. Say the situation clears up in October. Mm-hmm. Would football be canceled altogether, or would you expect to see some sort of abbreviated delayed season? And actually, this actually goes a little bit with, uh, with this question from Dusty Libel on Twitter. Will canceling football this fall cause some teams to fold up shop on their program? Right, so... Uh, and, and the reason that those two things are connected is because you look at athletic department finances, they are so tied to college football. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of, especially some of these bigger schools, right? Like, I think that um, Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated the other day t- posted, like, the, the numbers in terms of, like, football made, like, a $56 million profit, and I think mm-hmm. basketball made, like, a $1 million, baseball made, like, 400000 because it's LSU baseball and nobody else makes a profit, and mm-hmm. every other team was in the red, right? Right. Like, what do you think? I mean, do you think that football is big enough that you cannot afford to cancel it? I think that is going to... I think we will not know until August. Yeah. I really... Like, I think they're going to hold off this. I, I honestly... Because the one thing about this that I think a lot of people, and including people in our industry, aren't getting about this whole thing... Is that I will I will I will go ahead and I'm not an expert on this I'm not we're not going to see the season as we know it yeah like I, I I feel confident making that call right now because again we're, you know every expert every study you've said or every every study you, every anybody's read at this point has said that a vaccine's probably a year away right yeah yeah we're not going to throw seventy to a hundred thousand people in a stadium in just four months. Yeah. Like, we're just not. And the fact that they had to cancel the Olympics, or at least postpone the Olympics, yeah. like, that's close That's close enough to the football season to where we should be saying, okay, what about the football season? Now, does that mean we start doing, um, we start holding empty stadiums? I don't know. Um, but I feel like that's going to be the closer reality than canceling outright, at least right now. Um, because, like you mentioned, there are a lot of schools that hinge on football. And, I mean, the NCAA, as we know it, hinges on football. Um, And so I think that whether it's a shortened season of some kind, a condensed season, I don't think they'll... I mean, I don't want to say that they wouldn't push the season till March or whatever, whatever, but I do think they want to... I do think they would love to keep it fall and winter, right? For obvious geographical reasons, but also to not interfere with other sports and potentially overriding each other. But... And so I think, you know, is an eight-game schedule possible? I think that should be on the table. Yeah. I think anything between a five- to eight-game schedule should be probably seen as the most realistic thing. Um, because, yeah, like, I, I just don't... I think it's reckless, and I think it's unrealistic to think that we're just going to say, okay, cool, open the Rolls Bowl up in November. You know, right. like... <laughs> like, So, I, I don't know. That's just that's where I'm at. Yeah, well, I mean... I don't know. This does seem like a great chance to just get the Big Ten on out of here, right? Like just, just complete, you know, put it all in winter, and we don't have to deal with the with the Big Ten. Right. Right. No, but but seriously, like, um, it, how do you feel? I mean, it, it's something that I've kind of thought about, right? Like, 
how would we really feel with the idea of, of empty stadium games? You know, especially mm-hmm. for college football. You know, because sure. I think that, like, I think that there are other sports where, you know, I, I think that basketball, you can get away with empty gyms, right? Like, it, it would suck, but, you know, it's, it's, I, I think that you could get away with it. But, like, part of the allure of college football is sort of more the atmosphere. Like, going to the games is fun and all, like, you know, but you don't really go because you get the best view of the game or something like that. You go because you get to tailgate it and you get to hang out with your friends and watch it, right? Like, I mean, what are we losing necessarily? And, and is it too much to lose to mm-hmm. say, you know, this isn't worth doing if we're not kind of doing it with people? Right. Yeah. It, it's. I mean, it's about the pageantry, right? It's about the, the tradition, right? Um, and... Yeah, I, it's it's going to be an interesting test to see like what what we like about it, right? Like what yeah. what is, you know, it's going to be when you're just watching, you know, probably you know this Mac game on a Tuesday with no fans, you're going to be like, "Uh, yeah, this actually isn't that fun to watch." <laughs> but uh, I mean, I think but I think everybody's kind of become uh, they've they've they're familiar with that idea, or they're they're comfortable with yeah. that idea that they know that they're not watching the product at its best, right? Um, and so, but yeah, it is going to be interesting to see. Like, okay, like, are the ratings going to skyrocket now that everybody's at home to watch this, or is it going to be, <laughs> or is it going to be like, oh, I actually don't want to watch this game unless it's the top twenty five or whatever. You know, it's going to test a lot of people's like what they actually like about the sport. Yeah, um, if it is going to be, you know. Michigan versus Northwestern in November with no one there, right? Right, right. <laughs> is there, for you, a number of games, I guess, that you feel like would need to be played for it to really be considered a season? Right. Yeah. Oh. Well, like a number, like a set number of, like, you know, if it's anything below seven, it doesn't really count, or you don't really count it. Or well, well, like it's just a, where it just feels like it's. I mean, because again, if we play four or five games, it just kind of feels like it's you know some exhibitions. You know, it mm-hmm. doesn't it, like how are you supposed to say like, well, you played the best over the course of four games, you know, and so now yeah. you should play for a title. Like, I mean, I think that you know seven or eight would be okay for me. Like, it's not mm-hmm. ideal. Like, obviously, right. none of this right. is ideal. Um, you know, or even if just in general, if you, if you just basically say the non-conference slate is gone, right? Like, so that means mm-hmm. for some it's eight, for some it's nine. I, I think that we could be okay with that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, it, it's like if, if Bama goes five and oh, I guess you can play for a title. You know? <laughs> like, right, right. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's golly. That's a good point. Um, I think that's, that's why I think that five to eight eight more so that seven to eight range that latter range is probably the most realistic because i think anything less than that you start to question the validity of a lot of these teams and you start to question the validity of having a top 25 at all right because it's like how many teams in the country are gonna be four and four and one right (laughs) like so like it starts to question like very i mean honestly you could probably open up a discussion entirely about the top 25 in general but um (laughs) but uh but yeah like i don't don't know i think i think that's gonna be an interesting interesting to see what they consider the the baseline or the minimum requirement to be like okay well if we can't have at least seven games we're not having a season right something like that right well and let's go on to that other question i mean Mm -hmm. 
Will canceling football this fall cause some teams to fold up shop on their program? And I think that we tend to think about this from the perspective of FBS, mm-hmm. but you know, obviously sub FBS is a big part of this. And um, well, well, I'll let you go ahead first. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if let's say that let's say you know this the scenario that we kind of talked about a little bit, the seven to eight game schedule, right? Just conference. Well, there goes money games for HBCUs. Sure. There goes money games for a lot of low level FCS. Um, there goes money games for D2 that play up to D1 FCS, right? Sure. Um, there goes an influx of, I mean, anywhere from 200000 to a million dollars straight up. There goes a check gone for those programs. Right. And so I think, I mean, I would, I think there's a possibility that some of us, some programs might have to fold up shop because so many, especially the HBCU or the lower level FCS, um, they rely on that million dollar check from Florida State, right? Or that $500,000 check from wherever, from an FBS program to fund their, what what little facility upgrades or facility maintaining they have. <laughs> and right. so I think if those games are just canceled, like, yeah, the SWAC can't fund those programs on its own, right? And so you have, uh, or I mean, anybody FCS, like anybody that's not, North Dakota State or, you know, or Sam Houston State or something like that that has a perennial powerhouse that can probably last at least through one fractured season. Um, it's going to be realistic. It's going to be a something, uh, unfortunate reality that a lot of these programs are going to have to come to grips with is saying, okay, is it either going to fold up shop or if it's going to have to take a couple years off, um, you know. Yeah, uh-huh. and that's, you know, look, I, I think that... I think that one of the interesting things about this, especially for FBS programs, right, is that I've seen a lot of uh, FBS athletic directors, you know, say in some in, in anonymous surveys and stuff, hey, you know, if we do this, can we cut the requirement for there to be 16 varsity sports, right? right? And, like, it is kind of interesting to go through this because we probably have too many FBS programs as is. Right, mm-hmm. like we probably should not have this many FBS programs. We probably should enforce more the sixteen sport cutoff rule. We probably should enforce more. You know, the, there are attendance requirements that you're supposed to meet. I think you're supposed to have ten thousand fans a game. You know, like mm-hmm. um, ten fifteen. I, I can't remember what it is exactly, but like you're supposed to have mm-hmm. X amount of, of fans, and we kind of let them fudge the numbers so that they can stay up, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, it's. The thing that's interesting about a situation like this is that this is the ultimate shock to the system, right? And mm-hmm. and I mean that both societally and obviously, you know, sure, in sure. sports. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, um, you know, and and a lot of the time when you do have that, that's when you see the greatest sort of monumental change. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard to know where that's going to go, right? Because it sort of depends on how the NCAA wants to handle it. It depends on, like, would, you know, would the MAC be like, all right, Kent State, or all right, Akron, you're just going to, you know, we're just going to let you go down a level and, and you know, just kind of deal with that and try to, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I have mm-hmm. no idea. How does that impact a conference like the WAC right now that was potentially going to try to bring back football, you know, and obviously added Tarleton and Dixie State to try to do that? Hell, mm-hmm. how, how does that affect Tarleton? who's playing an independent schedule this year, you know, like I'm sure, I'm sure a bunch of those schools will be like, "Ah, if we're going to drop a game, we're going to drop our non-conference independent game, you know, like, and, and Tarleton's, you know, Tarleton's, I think in an interesting position, because I think that they have good funding, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, they would, they would not fold by any means, but like, 
their other programs, New Mexico State, like, what the hell are they doing, right? Like, <laughs> right. if everybody's just like, get off our schedule. I don't know, man. It's it's. Uh, it, does this convince UConn to just give up football? <laughs> right. For example? I know, right? Well, like the thing, the, the thing that's lingering in the back of my head is that would a fractured season or a canceled season expedite the discussion of a super conference? Yeah, yeah. Because maybe. you're gonna have programs like Oregon. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking. I'm just gonna think of the ones with a booster or like a you know mega money coming in. The Oregons, the Bamas, the Clemsons, the Texas A and M's, Texas things right. like that. They're gonna are they gonna be looking at the Yukons and the lower level the the New Mexico states, um, and they're gonna say why are we holding this up, right? Yeah, knowing that they can prob they can last through a fractured season easily. They can get through a canceled season one, at least one. Um, and what if, like, if they look around and they say, and the NCAA says no season, but they're like, well, I don't know, we can make this work. Right. You know, and it's going to be like, well, well, we can't make it work for Akron and, you know, for uh, UL Monroe, so we can't make it work for everybody. So therefore everybody, and I'm wondering if that's going to be like, uh, I don't know, we can play each other. Texas looks at, you know, <laughs> right, Baylor right. and says we can play them, you know, things like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, what's your problem? If, Right, exactly. Yeah, what's your problem? We got this. Big 12's got this. Pac-12's got this. Whatever. Um, probably not the Pac-12, but SEC's got this. Um, <laughs> you get what I'm saying. But, um, yeah, if we start looking at this and if they start looking at it more of a a reason to eventually break off, I kind of, I think everybody's kind of welcomed that unfortunate reality eventually, that it's eventually going to happen, but... Um, I'm wondering if that realistically starts to get the wheels churning on, okay, if something like this were to happen again, you know, we then the bigger the bigger programs might be feel more compelled to say, okay, well we need our exit strategy. <laughs> right. Right. Well let's finish up with this question. Okay, this is from Mason R- Riley Hines. Honestly, I just want to know how this might affect our winter championships. Are they going to be canceled due to precautions? Uh, and I think he's talking about both high school and college. Um, are we sure. playing them by ear? What's the best way to prepare for these situations? And the thing that's interesting about all of this, right, is that mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not not to get into any of, too much of the communications going on, but, like, you know, one of the things that's been said is once we get to summer, this will be a thing. Now, that's not exactly right. Right. But there are small parts of that statement that are correct that you know disease spreads better in the winter when our immune systems are a little weakened and we're inside more and concentrated more um so the interesting thing about all this right is that we are talking about waving this out through the summer basically Mm -hmm. until we have a vaccine and until a critical mass of the population is immune or, or at least has the antibodies Right. We could be at risk next winter too for this coming back, right? Sure. And sure. Yeah. Like this is, and like, I mean, the thing is, like, you know, uh, I believe a lot of disease experts, and including Dr. Fauci, said like we're probably in for a second wave of some yeah. kind. Yeah. Right. Like right now, we're seeing that kind. Of, I don't want to say a second wave fully, but like North Korea or South mm-hmm. Korea has has seen an uptick a little bit. Like yeah. Not, yeah. not. They're not in crisis mode, but they started to kind of let the public kind of go back to work and they're starting to see an up, uh, uptick because guess what? People are right. back in society. And so like right, right, naturally right. it's, I mean like if this is just going to be a thing that stays, if it's going to be a, uh, like the flu, like, you know, pneumonia, something that's just going to be in the ethos now, like 
This is something that we're not obviously not prepared to combat right now, right. but this is something that's not going away. <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't know. That's I, I just feel like to think that something's not going to be affected at all. Yeah, is pretty ignorant to say that. Um, yeah. and I think we have to be prepared to be able to, to adjust. Basically, I think everything has to be on the table, right? Like yeah. every little adjustment, whether it's empty stadiums to postponements to whatever. Like I think everything has to be on the table, and I think it is going to affect basically anything, any major event for the next year. I think is yeah. on the table. Yeah. Well, and and again, I mean, there is we are doing a better job now, obviously, of dealing mm-hmm. with this than we were a month ago, obviously. You know, I mean, right. somebody's somebody's recirculating the Elon Musk tweet where he's like, I don't get the fuss about the coronavirus. <laughs> Which, you know, a lot of bad tweets that are coming back up again, right? We're doing a much better job right now of dealing with things um, than we were a little while ago. And we're starting to see, I mean, the cases are going up, but part of that's increased testing, which is a good thing. You know, part of it is, you know, we're starting to finally deal with some of these, you know, issues with ventilators. Finally, companies are starting to maybe step up a little bit. Maybe the government's starting to invoke. We're hoping, right? Like this, Mm -hmm. we're doing better than we were a month ago. We're still not doing good enough. But when we go back into society at this point, we still don't have the resources in place to where Mm -hmm. it should be fundamentally different than if we were in society now, right? Like, because we don't have a critical mass of, uh, of, you know, sort of herd immunity, you know, and we also don't have a critical mass of vaccines at this point. So, mm-hmm. because we don't have a vaccine as yet. So, yeah. um, and look, you know, hopefully what will turn into good news is, you know, our beloved Pitt Panthers, apparently uh, their, their uh, you know, disease office is sort of working on something that's maybe ready for human trials. Right. Now, even then, even if we are super duper lucky and, you know, they're coming up with a vaccine quick, like this is still going to take time, right? Like, okay, so is... Human human trials don't aren't a week. Like no, <laughs> human no, no, trials no, no, don't no. last a week because no. they got to realize they got to make sure that the thing you're taking now doesn't affect you six months from now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, you know, there's reason for optimism. You know, we don't have right. to necessarily just be like this is just the end of the world as we know it. It is going to be right. the end of some world as we know it. But like, right. but you know, there is optimism. But again, I mean, let's put it this way, right? This, the way that I knew, and I mean, I, I knew that this was coming. I knew this was going to be a big deal regardless, you know, b- based mm-hmm. on what's happened in China and, and just how pandemics work. But, like, the, the, the moment that we knew that, oh, oh, this is, this is real, real, was when the NBA was canceled, right? right? And, like, in a lot of ways, I think that, you know, when you write this story about this virus, when people write books about it, when people write textbooks about it someday, like, I think that the impact of losing sports is actually going to be a big part of the conversation because that is something that sends a huge message to society. Well, because, yeah, right. I, th- I think the the ultimate, the biggest, uh, I think, culture shift in terms of what this meant to American, to Western culture at least, right, um, was how, I mean, it's, it's, I had to, pl- I, I don't mean this as a joke, but it's Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Like yeah. somebody who literally Seriously. played it off as a joke. Yeah. And was the first to get tested positive. Definitely. And subsequently shut down the entire NBA. Yeah. Like that shift from haha, look, I'm making fun of potentially having this and messing with these reporters' mics or whatever he did. Um, to literally what, two days later? Yeah. 
Right, two days later coming uh, testing positive and then the entire NBA postponing and then eventually shutting down, or I guess officially haven't shut down, but I just don't see how there's any way they play the yeah. season now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that's going to be, that that moment for Western culture and Western history, like that's yeah. going to be a huge moment because it was like, go back a month and a half ago, like probably not a month, probably a month and a half where everybody's like, Oh, ha ha! I can't stop touching my face. Oh, this is gonna be hard, right? Like that was that was the joke, right? right. It was like, oh, how am I gonna stop touching? Oh, this is weird. This is still hard. working on it, this. by the way. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. But like that was the joke was that everybody like, oh, this is gonna be weird to not you know touch yeah. my nose every day or something like it's. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is a this is real and this is a thing and this is happening and yeah and and like I think the like you mentioned the NBA shutting down was I think the moment where everybody was like, Oh, okay, like this is this is a thing. This is serious. And um obviously we're glad people are taking it seriously now, but it I I, I really shudder to think what would have happened if specifically Rudy Gobert had not tested positive. Yeah. Because yeah. like that that was he that was it. He was the reason the NBA shut down. And I I just I cannot imagine how much worse of a situation we'd be in yeah if the nba didn't kind of you know take that proactive stance they'd be like oh. they led the way if they led the right they led the way and if they didn't like because yeah. remember like golden uh i believe the nuggets and the warriors were going to play in an empty arena or full arena that day yeah. or like yeah. the next day or something and yeah i, don't I, know. I think it was warriors and nets because i think that it was kd was supposed That's to right. come back and uh yeah <laughs> Yeah, could you imagine? Like, yeah. we were talking about, like, ooh, empty stadiums. This is going to be weird. And it's like, can you imagine if we just kept doing that? Right, right. <laughs> no, I mean, and I think, uh, you know, just, just to finish that, like, yeah, sports sure. are a good indicator uh, in a sort of a good reflection of, of society, right? And, mm-hmm. and I think that, you know, we saw when the NBA got canceled, when the March Madness got canceled, all this stuff, when all this happened, um, it sent a message to everybody that we need to take this seriously. And on the flip side, I think that we cannot bring back the NBA and cannot bring back March Madness and all this stuff until we know for sure mm-hmm. that we, you know, we can be okay and that it's ready to move on from this. And look, I, I think that, uh, and that's one of the reasons that I'm not sure whether we're going to really try to do college football games with empty stadiums or do NBA games with empty stadiums. I mean, I, I right. because I think that it is a such a strong message uh, to society, really, that we need to take this seriously. And, and again, once these games start being played, things will get back to normal, and we need to kind of control when that normal is going to be. Anyway, right. anyway, let's, uh, let's finish up with this, okay? This is what we did last week, too. So, in quarantine right now, what you're mm. reading, what you're watching? Uh, I, I'm... I just I'm embarrassed to say but I just finished uh, Sunderland Till I Die season 2 in one day. <laughs> um it was uh for those of you that don't, that don't know Sunderland Till I Die was the docu series about Sunderland AFC which is a Premier League team that got relegated to the championship in 2017 and the first season follows them in the championship getting relegated again to League 1. <laughs> and so it's about a once proud club and and then and franchise just absolutely caving under bad management and bad investments and bad deals things like that um following everybody from the players to season ticket owners things like that um this past season just came out which was them (laughs) their first season in league one 
and how the new ownership comes in. It's a new mentality, things like that. And it is just as heartbreaking as the first season. But it, <laughs> but it is probably, for any sports fan, you can be a soccer fan or whatever. Yeah. Uh, or you don't have to be a soccer <laughs> fan. I think it's the best examination of what a sports team, especially for somebody, I guess the best equivalent would be like the Packers in Green Bay. Yeah. Um, a sports team to a, a blue collar community, how that affects the morale of everybody in that yeah. town. Right. <laughs> because Sunderland is a very much a, they're a packing district in England. And so it's Northeast England. So it's very much a blue collar workers town kind of a, similar to Detroit, I guess I should say too. Yeah. yeah. Um, to where a, a team slowly losing its morale, the morale of its fan base, how that affects literally everything. Well, I, I think town. Cleveland is a great example. Cleveland as well. Yeah. Um, but even then, like it, it's it's hard to say Cleveland because they've had somebody like LeBron, right? Or it's right. like you know, it, it's like if Cleveland never had LeBron. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's 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 probably the best examination of that because it goes from you know they get everybody's on camera like president, CEO, manager. Right players season ticket owners um it's just one of the best top to bottom examinations of a community that involving sports so i'd recommend that and that's what i uh i binged uh, recently <laughs> <laughs> well well and, and another sports doc that's going to be coming out soon the michael jordan oh, documentary gosh, yes yeah oh the God, last jordan dance doc- uh it, it's been moved up to april 19th um Look, it's gonna. Uh, I, I'm very excited for it. I'm definitely gonna have to figure out how exactly to negotiate the time to watch it. Uh, you know, with my wife <laughs> saying it's well, five good, days. Well, in a row. Good, for, good for her. They're spacing it out quite a bit. It's like yeah. a once a week, right? No, no, no. It's it's five days in a row, isn't it? No, no. It's. I think ESPN released. A, there's a schedule. It's like. A, let me see. I want to say last. I'll, I'll Google. You can. Bam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm very excited for that. Obviously, I mean, if people don't know, I'm I'm a Bulls fan. I I'm not actually a Michael Jordan Bulls fan because I was I wasn't really old enough to kind of really appreciate him. Um, mm-hmm. I'm more of a Luol Deng Ben Gordon Bulls fan, which you know, cool. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but I'm very excited for the documentary, of course. Um, for me, I uh, I mentioned I think I mentioned last week I started the show This Is Us, and it is. We uh we have been struggling not to watch it because we just that's the thing with all this binging stuff, right? Like sometimes it's the worst thing in the world when it's just right. like, oh my god, there's 72 episodes and I just have to, you know, they're 45 minute episodes I have to keep <laughs> watching, and you're just like, where the hell do when do I do anything else, you know? <laughs> so uh, so I'm I I like <laughs> as soon as we started watching that, I haven't been able to keep up with the perfect pass like I was reading last week, so I'm only halfway oh, okay. through that. Um, but, yeah, here's uh, the schedule. So it's it's it goes April nineteenth, April twenty sixth, May third, May tenth, May seventeenth. Okay, okay, okay. But they're okay, showing okay. two. It's two parts, so two it's parts, five right. weeks, two parts each week. Okay, okay, okay. I can yeah. I can live with that. I think I think I can live with that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I've been. Uh, the other thing is one of my favorite shows of all time. Just uh, came on Netflix. It, it was on Hulu before, but uh, now it's on Netflix. Community. Ah uh, uh, yes. It's. Uh, oof. I just man we. So my wife had never seen it before, and I was Ooh, like, okay. that's, that's yeah. be fun. It, well, so we watched it earlier this year on Hulu. And, oh, okay, um, okay, gotcha. Yeah, but it's just easier to binge watch and just, like, casually watch on Netflix than on Hulu. Cause, like, oh, for sure. You know, it, it's just easier. And and so, um, you know, but so we watched it all the way through because I was like, I don't know how to explain this to you. Like, there's just so many things that I say sometimes that are, like, related to the show. If you haven't watched those, it before. The, I'll take those first two seasons of Community up with. And like the the peak office, peak oh, yeah. Parks and Rec, like I would take those those first two, 
I mean, I think it, I think it's a great show overall, but I think those first two seasons just nail it so perfectly. It's, it's so such perfect. a great, it's well, such a great parody of community college in general. Yeah, and and like I mean, just the cast is so kind of ridiculous on it too, because like you got Alison Brie who was a nobody when she was cast. Mm-hmm. You got Donald Glover who was kind of a nobody when he was cast. Uh, you know, Joel McHale. You got uh, Jillian Jacobs, like. You know, that Nicole Brown had kind of been in a couple things. Like, she was in Drake and Josh, right. obviously. And stuff. But, but, like, the, show was kind of, the show's big get was basically Chevy Chase at the time. Right. It, like, like, it it's like, like the worst character on the show. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you know, so it's it's a, it's an incredible, uh, incredible group. And uh, so if you haven't watched it before, it is it is very meta. I mean, it is very, like, uh, it's just so well written. Actually, yeah. I, <laughs> I was watching one episode... Uh, do you remember the one that was like uh, pillows versus blankets? It's like the pil- when Abed has a, a pillow fort and yes, yeah. Troy has a blanket fort and they make it in like a Ken Burns documentary style. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. I, I'm going to tweet a clip, clip from it uh, in, in a few minutes, but like it's basically like it's it's doing like a geographical thing and it's like this was north hall which was named after william north even though it was west of of south hall which was only called that because it was like north of it's just so dumb it's and they're like it's easily the most confusingly named place on campus except for the uh like the northwest uh spanish something i don't remember which is named after northwest even though it's southeast on campus (laughs) i just think like everybody from that show went on to do because like uh obviously dan Harmon went on to do rick and morty yeah and so like he's like he's everybody from that show went on to do something insanely successful or became insanely successful it's so funny oh my gosh i i (laughs) it's so hard to explain because i watched it like back when it aired and and it's it's just it's so good but it's great man man it's it's a lot and actually actually last thing last thing Mm -hmm. Have you been keeping an eye on the uh, the Ringers uh, uh, bracket of, of best yes, TV? Yes, I characters? have. Yes, I have. I had so, some I had some issues with the nominations, but for the most part, I'm okay with who's winning and who's moving on because I'm not surprised. I guess it, it is funny because I, I I haven't checked in, but basically the the final four looks like it's going to be two Parks and Rec characters versus two Breaking Bad characters. I, I think that I, I think that. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of who. No, 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 no. Sorry, a Parks and Rec and an Office character versus right. two Breaking Bad characters. Although I think that I think that right now I can't remember who's going against Arya Stark, but she was. Arya they Stark's were beating Jesse Pinkman right now. Okay, Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> so, so yeah, for that's... those of you that don't know, that don't know, The Ringer is putting out a Twitter has done a Twitter poll of what is it the last the best TV characters of the century, right? Yeah, something like that. Okay, and so the elite eight right now is Tony Soprano versus Walter White, which is probably an anti-villain, anti-hero mega matchup. Right. Um, Arya Stark versus Jesse Pinkman, um, Dwight Schrute versus Ron Swanson. That's a and, tough one. Which is another tough one, and then Michael Scott versus Omar Little, which is a battle of not light characters at all. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it probably is going to be. Ron Swanson versus uh, Michael Scott and Arya Stark right now, at least versus Walter White, which is yeah. going to be fascinating. I was pretty furious with some of the the ways that it was matched up because, like, the, <sighs> I, was too. I think the I think it was the second round we had like a it was Joe Bluth versus Ron Swanson, I think, and right. I'm like, how is it a second round matchup? And and like, uh, I mean, look, and I'll, I'll be honest, like, I haven't watched multiple of the shows, obviously that mm-hmm. that some of these guys are from, but like. 
there were just a couple that were like, why, why is Nathan from Nathan for you in the sweet 16? You know, like, like, how are we matching this up to where, like, you know, all these characters are first round out. And, and the other thing that made me upset too, was that, uh, they limited it to, it to three per show, but mm-hmm. they counted, uh, they counted Saul Goodman as being from breaking bad. So we couldn't get Gus Fring on the board. Like, Oh geez. That's that, that sucks. <laughs> that sucks yeah. real hard. Yeah. That's weird. And like some of the other seedings were weird. Like Fleabag was a two seed. Yeah. And I'm like, Fleabag's been on this air for like three years. Calm down. Um, yeah. And like, they're also, it's also not a very popular show. No, no, no. Like no. it's a very critically acclaimed show, but it's not necessarily like no one. I, I, I probably can count the people that listen to this podcast on like single from one hand. Right, right. Watch. I mean, I, I haven't seen it. I need to see it. But right, I haven't seen it. Right. Um, but like there was some weird one. There was also some weird ones that are just like, like, well, the one that got me was like, Eric Cartman, like I get it. Like don't get me wrong, he's an iconic character, but like, what? Are, if that's the case, like if you're going off a of legacy versus South Park, like I think there are other probably more iconic characters or better characters. If and then if you're counting South Park, why aren't you counting The Simpsons or right. something like Family Guy, who I'm not a big fan of, but had probably had a more distinct run in the early 2000s. You know yeah. things like that where it's well, like. And- okay, yeah, where was the or then like baby yoda's in there for some reason and it's like why is what he the there? hell was he doing in there i i honestly got pretty mad when when i saw that baby yoda because because he beat somebody good in the first round too i think he beat uh he beat wexler like what what the hell is that <laughs> no it's so sorry a lot of wexler sorry from from still a good character from broad city but still yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. okay still not as bad as i thought that it was kim wexler which would be you know kim wexler got ron swanson in the first round which is unfair that's, but you know. that's that's a tough one i'll be honest that's a yeah. tough one yeah. but uh if you okay throw out throw out how it was uh how it was done out of the people on that bracket who would you have winning it all at the bracket or the the, the winners we have so far uh, of the bracket don't ignore what's happened uh, honestly i man to me i think it's i mean look at the bracket again i gotta make sure i'm not missing it's peggy olsen yeah. from Mad Men to me <laughs> i think it's yeah. peggy olsen because it's a character who i think from like the start of the show to the end of the show Mad Men had the most growth, had the yeah. most... I think you realize towards at some point she's the best and most, I think, fleshed out character in that show. Sure. Um, and I think you realize that... I mean, the show's about Don Draper, but I think the, the show is also about her growth and her, you know, representing basically the modern professional woman. And, you know, in the 60s and 70s, that's a thing that was very rare. And I think... Yeah. Um, and it, it's also she's also done in a way where you're not it's not a typical you know badass woman kicking the boys butts right it's very right. much like she's very flawed in her own right she's very selfish at times she's very like she's very career minded and at certain points i really falls her and i think that yeah. there's it's easy to overdo that character to where she's just oh, yeah. the moral good and right, like right, right. you know and it's like no, oh she's a real wrong. person Right. And so I think to me, at least my opinion, I think she's the best character on television yeah. of, the, of the past few years. Yeah, it's it's tough for me. And the thing that's really tough about all this is like, how do you compare a comedy character to a drama character? You know, right. like, like that's because for like example, literally, it's literally going to be uh, Michael Scott versus Walter White. Right. And, like, and that's going to be weird. And and for me, like I. Those are I, I, it's hard to say, like, are those my top two on the board? I don't know exactly. They are right. 
at worst, two of my top five, right? Like, sure. I, I think that they are both firmly in the conversation. Like, if I was picking right now, I'd probably pick between those two, and it's just like, what do I do with this? How do I pick between <laughs> Michael Scott, one of the greatest characters ever written on TV, Dwight True, right. another one of the greatest characters ever written on TV, and then, like, and I, I will say, I'm the only person on the planet who's never seen Game of Thrones, so that's, you know, I, I yeah, can't... Yeah, I've seen, like, a couple episodes, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm I sorry. I really want to, but it's just one of those things that never happened. Um, right. You know, and then, like, you know, Jesse Pinkman and, and Walter White. Like, how do I pick between those people? You know, it's so weird. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that if, if I had to pick one, I think I'd probably pick Walter White. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I don't feel great about it, <laughs> you know, it's it's hard to just say that, um, you know, and I uh, I can't remember who was up against, though, but, but Bojack Horseman definitely got screwed in an early round matchup, too. I can't remember who it was against. Uh, wait, who was it saying again? It was, Bojack. Uh, yeah, he, golly, who did he beat? Oh, he, he lost, was Jesse. Yeah, like, that yeah, sucks. Yeah. Why'd have to yeah. pick against that so early? Yeah, Jesse Pinkman, that's, that's rough. <laughs> Yeah, huh, you know, I get it, but also, come on. <laughs> anyway, that's probably enough from us. Uh, we hope that uh, that everybody out there who's listening is doing well. We hope that everybody's safe. We hope that everybody's, you know, uh, handling themselves all right. I know that this is a very difficult time, um, you know, and we hope that we can just bring a little bit of fun, uh, you know, remind everybody that sports are still on the horizon at some point. <laughs> and, um, and look, again, uh, check out that Ringer uh, character draft if you get a chance because it's, it's pretty entertaining and... Again, I I watched a little bit of South Park growing up. The Cartman thing definitely threw me for a loop when it was just like a bunch of like people putting Eric Cartman through to like the freaking Sweet Sixteen or whatever as a fifteen seed. So you know you can get mad about something else on the bracket, I'm sure. But uh, as always, uh, all of our work can be found at TexasFootball.com. We're still very much active. We're still very much putting out content. Uh, if you need something to read, go on over there. You can follow us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Like Football. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. If you're not a subscriber, TexasFootball.com com slash subscribe we're working hard on the magazine right now and uh for ish uh, i'm shahan thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week